Have you ever considered or thought about the different hospitals' pit protocols, like Goldilocks and the Three Bears? I mean, some people use just a little bit of pitocin, some use a moderate amount of pitocin, and then some use the high dose pitocin. Kind of like the one that's too cold or too warm or too hot or however that story went. Well, the truth is, which Pitocin protocol is okay to use and which one is the most efficient? Some people are afraid of the high dose Pitocin protocol, known as the Parkland protocol, because of fears of hyperstimulation or tachycystole or the need for urgent C section because we're going to blow out the uterus. Well, is that true? Well, in this podcast, we're going to review a new RCT from the Green Journal addressing low dose compared to high dose Pitocin and see which one was more effective at leading to delivery in a shorter amount of time. Hi, this is Michael Jr., fourth year medical student at Texas A&M University and soon to be OBGYN. This is Clinical Pearls. Synthetic oxytocin is one of the most frequently used medications in the United States. It was the first polypeptide hormone synthesized, an achievement for which the 1955 Nobel Prize in Chemistry was awarded. Oxytocin may be used for labor induction or for augmentation. With oxytocin use, the ACOG recommends fetal heart rate and contraction monitoring similar to that for any high-risk pregnancy. Contractions can be monitored either by palpation or by electronic means as most do in labor and delivery units. O'Driscoll and colleagues in 1984 described their Dublin protocol for the active management of labor and it called for oxytocin at a starting dose of 6 milliunits per minute and advancing in 6 milliunits per minute increments. Now, that was the Dublin Protocol. But then in 1992 at Parkland, Sadden et al. evaluated that same oxytocin regimen and it used a very similar dosing method that the Dublin researchers used. And that became dubbed the Parkland Protocol. That publication introduced this high-dose pit protocol pretty much to the United States. It was found to be safe in labor and to shorten the duration of the active phase of labor. But of course, there's a lack of uniformity in how hospitals use PIT protocols overall, both in starting dose and in dose increments and at dosing intervals. For example, Satin et al. used that Parkland protocol starting at 6 and then increased every 20 to 40 minutes based on contraction pattern. What they found is when you used a 20-minute interval compared to a 40-minute interval, there was less C-sections performed for labor dystocia or failure to progress. However, in that original study, remember, we're talking about the 1990s, as expected, there was some uterine tachycystole that was significantly more frequent with a 20-minute escalation group compared to the 40-minute escalation group. But again, that's why hospitals have different protocols, because some just aren't comfortable with that. Remember, the Parkland Protocol calls for starting dose of 6 and then increases by 6 every 40 minutes since the 20 was kind of causing too much hyperstimulation. But it does employ a flexible dosing schedule based on uterine contraction pattern. 
But for example, the University of Alabama at Birmingham uses a totally different protocol. UAB uses a dosing protocol for Pitocin that starts at 2 and then increases as needed every 15 minutes to 4 milliunits and then 8 and then 12 and then 16 20, up to 30 milliunits per minute. That was the most traditional published protocol out of UAB. So you can see different hospitals use different starting doses and different levels, different dosing intervals to give Pitocin adjustments. And of course, they use a different amount of maximal Pitocin used. Because of all of these variations, that's why it's important for us to summarize this new article that's not even out yet. It's an article published ahead of print. Again, it's from Obstetrics and Gynecology, and the title is High Dose Compared with Standard Dose Oxytocin Regimens to Augment Labor in Nulliparous Women. Now, the standard dose in this publication, in this RCT, was the low-dose protocol. Well, let's dive into this in a little bit more detail now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, before we get into this new publication, it's important to kind of set the standard or set the foundation because there is previous publications that have looked at this with regard specifically to efficacy. A Cochrane review that was done in 2013 compared high dose with low dose protocols and found a reduced risk of cesarean birth among those receiving the high dose protocol. Now, in that Cochrane review, the high dose was an initial and incremental dose rate of at least 4 milliunits per minute. Remember, we said that the Dublin protocol and then the Publin protocol was a little higher at 6 milliunits per minute. Now, back to this Cochrane review. Now, even though there was a reduced rate of C-sections among women receiving the high-dose protocol, more than half the weight of the meta-analysis was from a single trial determined to be a high risk for bias. And that risk for cesarean birth was actually no longer significantly different between groups when this trial was removed. Labor duration was significantly shorter, though, among participants receiving that high-dose Pitocin protocol. But the only trial in the Cochrane Review that assessed that outcome was in 40 participants. There was no other significant between-group differences with that Cochrane meta-analysis because it was likely underpowered to detect other potentially meaningful differences. This is why these authors conducted this parallel group, double-blind, single-center, randomized control trial with individual randomization to either a high dose, which was an incremental dose of 6 milliunits per minute, or a standard dose Pitocin regimen, which was 2 milliunits per minute. This included only nulliparous women with singleton gestations who were at or beyond 36 weeks of pregnancy. Now, they were also admitted for spontaneous onset of labor, and they became eligible for this trial when it was determined by their OBGYN team that exogenous oxygen was needed as an augmentation agent. So let's get very clear here. This isn't people coming in with a Bishop score of one that are trying to get induced. This is strictly for 
augmentation of labor. This trial was conducted at a great hospital. I've got great friends there. That's Northwestern out of Chicago. Now, I think this is pretty cool. To maintain masking of assignment, hospital infusion pumps were programmed to allow volume infusion rates with an initial rate of 2 mLs per hour. So it didn't matter which regimen you got, the high dose or the standard after being randomized into this trial, all the pumps were set at the same amount of increments, but it was the volume of Pitocin in the bag that varied. And I think that's pretty smart because that's the way to maintain blinding for the providers. Now remember that this was a pragmatic study, which meant that if the physician at some time thought that the Pitocin level should be decreased or increased at will, then it could, and that mirrored real-world adjustments. Now, although initial and incremental dose rates were specifically set at 2 mLs per hour, decisions about whether this infusion was paused, restarted, or discontinued, again, were determined by the participants' obstetric care teams to mirror real-world results. The pre-specified primary outcome was cesarean birth. The indication for cesarean birth was also recorded. Now, if a participant had both non-reassuring fetal status and labor arrest, as the, the pre-specified primary outcome was cesarean birth. The indication for cesarean birth was also recorded. Now, if the participant had both non-reassuring fetal status and labor arrest disorder listed as the indication for the C-section, then non-reassuring fetal status was characterized hierarchically as the primary indication. Pre-specified maternal secondary outcomes included labor duration, intrapartum clinical choreo, postpartum endometritis, and postpartum hemorrhage. Now, labor duration was defined as the time from randomization until delivery. In addition, a composite outcome of perinatal morbidity and mortality was defined as the occurrence of any or more of the following. Perinatal death, severe respiratory distress syndrome requiring cardiovascular support or ventilation for more than 12 hours, major birth injury, neonatal encephalopathy, neonatal seizures, the receipt of hypothermic treatment or cooling, or neonatal sepsis. Mothers were followed until hospital discharge, and neonates were followed until hospital discharge or 28 days of life, whichever was later. All right, let's get to the results. This study happened from September 2015 through September 2020. Of the close to 1,700 eligible women who were approached, just over 1,000 provided written informed consent and were randomized. About 502 were randomized to the high-dose regimen, and 501 were randomized to the standard-dose regimen group. The primary outcome of cesarean birth occurred in 14.5% of those in the high-risk group and 14.4% in the standard group. In other words, the p-value there is not significant. And there was no significant difference in the distribution of indication for cesarean birth, with labor arrest disorders being the most common in both groups. Participants assigned to the high-dose group had a significantly shorter mean duration of labor than those in the standard group. The time interval from randomization to delivery was 9 hours compared to 10.5 hours, with a mean difference of about minus 1.4 hours difference. Now, participants assigned to the high-risk group were also significantly less likely than participants assigned in the standard group to have clinical choreo. The rates of endometritis and postpartum hemorrhage were similar between groups, and there was no cases of uterine rupture, hysterectomy, or maternal death. 
All right, so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, in this pragmatic RCT, remember, there was no significant difference in the incidence of cesarean birth. So that's good news to know that the high-dose Pitocin protocol didn't cause an increase in sections. Remember, of course, this is only nulliparous women. The frequencies of indications for cesarean birth were also not significantly different between the groups. Participants randomized to high-dose oxytocin, though, had a significantly shorter duration of labor by more than an hour. So among the pre-specified secondary outcomes, clinical choreo occurred less frequently in the high-dose group compared with the standard group, and there was no significant differences in any of the other pre-specified maternal or perinatal outcomes. So that's a clinical pearl right there. If anyone gives you pushback about the high-dose protocol because it's somehow going to affect perinatal outcome, that's not what the RCT found. The frequencies of 5-minute APGAR score of 3 or less or severe perinatal morbidity composite measures were not significantly different between the groups. So in summary, according to this RCT, and remember, according to that previous Cochrane review, administration of high-dose oxytocin in nulliparous participants who were undergoing augmentation did not significantly reduce the rate of primary cesarean section, but it didn't increase the rate of C-section either. The high-dose regimen did, however, lead to shorter labors of over an hour, and there was less maternal chorioamnionitis found. Well, this brings us to a wrap as we summarize this RCT. Now, remember, this is only for labor augmentation in nulliparous women. Although, I'm not sure why the results would be any different if they were multiparous. So, low dose, medium dose, or high dose, it really comes down to preference. But the safety of the high dose PIT protocol is well established. And remember, the Cochrane Review found that they did have shorter labors, just like this RCT. So, as always, we're thankful for you being part of our podcast family. And we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.